In his book, Act Like Men, James McDonald began one of the chapters, entitled one of the chapters, Disney Quality. He spoke about quality throughout the whole of the chapter, and in doing so, he compares slash contrasted the difference between the quality that Walt Disney put into Walt Disney World and that of Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he states something to the effect of comparing Walt Disney and Jesus Christ is like comparing apples to cotton candy or apples to something astronomically different that there is no comparison whatsoever. But he argues in the chapter that Walt Disney, he did something that for this temporal world is hard to find its equal. He set in motion a theme park whose size is twice the size of Manhattan. It takes up twice the size of the ground space that Manhattan, New York, takes up. The theme park's quality is something else, if for no other reason, that it opened five years after Walt Disney's death at age 65. Yet he instilled in his family, he instilled in his employees, those employees that would come for some now four decades after his death, this is the standard. And if you were going to work here, if we're going to open the gates here, This is what it has to be. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, McDonald argues, existed in eternity past, forever and ever and ever. He created all that you and I see. He came some 2,000 years ago. He never wrote a book as a man. He never traveled more than 100 miles from his hometown as a man. He was never rich. He surrounded himself with commoners, yet he continues to impact lives today. And he will impact lives for all eternity. We are in the midst of a series that we have entitled Man Up. We have a couple of verses that are the theme verses for the series, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, those verses state this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, where we got the whole title of man up, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Last week we saw that last sentence, let all that you do be done in love. And we talked about that. And this morning we're going to go back up to the beginning of it and we're going to look at that phrase, those two words, be watchful. And for us to understand that and to unpack what it means to be watchful, the same word is used in 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, 
And I'm going to read for us verse 6 down through verse number 11. Verse 6 down through verse 11 in 1 Peter chapter 5 states this. As folks are turning there. Students, let me talk to you for just a second. Nobody else is in the room. Nobody else is listening, okay? Just you and me. I know the series is called Man Up. But to be honest with you guys and ladies, it's uh, also for ladies. Nobody else is listening. They're not going to figure this out. I want you to figure it out, okay? It's for them, ladies and guys. It's for your age and even those like myself that are getting gray on the top of their head. All right? First Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He, God, may exalt you. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him. Guys don't have anxieties. Uh, We'll talk about that in a second. But casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. And here's the word, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, verse 9 states. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him, to God, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, may every man in this room be spoken to this morning. Father, would you speak clearly, clearly to every man in the room that we are to be watchful, that we are to watch out. Father, would you speak to every lady in the room that they are to watch out. To every student in the room that they are to watch out. Because of the world that we live in, because of the enemy that we have, because of the urgency of the moment, may we seek a quality, not just for the things that are temporal, the things of this world, amusement. Yes, we are thankful for that, but Father, the the quality of life, the abundant life that you willingly offer for today and for future days through your Son, Jesus. Father, you use this time. Challenge me this morning. Father, speak to me this morning as we look at at your Word. As we explain your Word, Father, would you please challenge, encourage, convict, Because that is what you do. 
And we will praise you for who you are and we will praise you for all that you do. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Two points for us this morning as we look at the subject, man up, watch out. Man up, watch out. The first is this, we must define the subject. We must define the subject. If the theme this morning is those words, be watchful, we have to define the subject so that we know what we're talking about. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, and in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 7, that word is the same word. It is an imperative, and I know, guys, you don't like grammar class, but you and I need to go to grammar class today. We need to understand what it is, and it is an active imperative. That's the word, which means this, it's a command. It's, it's a command, not, not just a thought, not a suggestion, not a, hey, if you get, a law, if you get, um, if you get to it, Brian, you need to do this, you need to be watchful. It is a command for me and for you, for every single one of us to be watchful. But not only is it a command, it's an active imperative. It's an active command. And that means that you don't do it once and say, okay, I got that t-shirt and I can move on. It's an ongoing command. Moment by moment, day by day, every single day of the week, every day of the month, every month of the year, you and I are commanded to... Watch out. Think of it this way. Think of it like a soldier in military appointment. He is standing on the outside of the barracks. He's standing at the edge of the compound. He's standing on the line. And he is to watch out for the enemy. That private, or that sergeant, or that whatever his title is to stand and watch out. He does not, after five minutes, go back to his commanding officer and say, Did that? Nobody's coming from the west. Let's look east. No. Why? Because if that happened on Monday... Tuesday afternoon at 4.30, the enemy might come from the west. Let alone, five minutes after he goes inside, they may come. They are to stand and watch day after day. Look at that road. Look at that tree line. Look at that horizon. Moment after moment after moment, it is an active command to that post for them to do just that. Why? And you and I have the same command. The soldier must watch 
in that direction. He must watch in other directions for the possible attack. And that attack may come day or night. That attack may come at any hour and they are to be watchful. So the definition, if we are trying to figure out what it is about, we are to be watchful. It is alert, attentive. The, the word there is one to be awake, to be looking, piercing through, gazing at what's in front of you. So we know that. So let's spend some time as Peter describes for us in a second point. This, that you and I are to watch out. And the reason that we are to watch out is for this reason. Not only are we to know it, but he describes it for us so that we can see the different aspects of this command. Let me read for us. One more time, it states this. Humble yourselves. We'll talk about that in just a second. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He, God, might exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. And then He describes in that second half of verse number 8 about our adversary. Our enemy the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not alone. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So watch out. In what ways can you watch out? In what ways are you to do this church first you are to humble yourself this is also an imperative men this must happen if you're going to be the man that God called you to be then he commanded you to humble yourself why would he do that why First and foremost, because pride is sin. And God hates, states it multiple times in Scripture, that God hates pride. It's been stated that pride was the first sin. It was the first sin in heaven. Satan swelled up with pride and said, I'm going to be God. And God said, not in my lifetime, and kicked him out of heaven. It's the first sin on earth as Adam and Eve partook of the fruit because they believed they knew better than God. God put boundaries around them. He put boundaries on them for their good. Yet because of pride, they said, you know what? We know better than God. 
We're going to do it our way. Pride swells up in you and it swells up in me and we don't even know it. So we've been in grammar class. Let's take a quiz for a second. See if this hits you. See if you're prideful. Please don't answer out loud and don't raise your hand. Not that I thought that you would. Question. Do you seek credit for things? Do you seek credit for things? Do you want to be noticed? Say, say a team has a project at work. Do, do you want to be noticed for your portion of that project? Hey, don't forget about me. I, I, you know, I put the tape on the box over here. Do you require a thank you? Do you have... Oh, this is a good one. Uh, I almost skipped over it because I didn't want to have to answer it. Do you always have to be right? Do you compliment others? Do you willfully compliment others? Not uh, begrudgingly compliment others. If we answer those questions truthfully, and probably from day to day or moments in the day to moments in the day, we do well in those and we do terrible in those. And it's all because we are a prideful people. In that same book that I started out with, he, uh, he wrote about a, a movie that every single one of us more than likely know some lines or we at least saw it. Some of us guys don't want to say that we saw it because it was kind of a chick flick because it had Tom Cruise in it, Kevin Bacon in it, but the movie was A Few Good Men. And our line came from not Tom Cruise or from Kevin Bacon, but our line came from Jack Nicholson. He was Colonel Jessup in the movie, and he was in charge of the base on Cuba, and they were pressing him to find if, if he ordered this thing called a Code Red on this particular soldier. And he is in the midst of a court-martial and a hearing and in front of the judge and the lawyers and those that were there. And he goes out and says, you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall, and I would rather you just say thank you and let me get about my day. And then Cruz goes in, did you order the code red? And you better believe I ordered the code red, that's, not the, that's the TNT version. Yes, I ordered the code red. Then he gets arrested. But he was a prideful person. And guys, we find ourselves like that as well. I find myself like that. Ladies, we are a prideful But that's not the only description of how you and I are to be watchful and how it is played out in 1 Peter chapter 5. Not just humble yourselves, that active imperative that is to happen, you yourself are to do this. People say, well, why don't I just ask God to humble me? I would not do that if I were you. 
Can he do it? You better believe he can. Does he do a great job of it? Oh, buddy, yeah, he does. But he charges you, and he charges you, and he charges you, he charges me to do that ourselves. Humble yourselves. Watch out. Humble yourselves. And then look at verse number 7. We're to humble ourselves, yes, in verse 6. And there's going to be this day that the mighty hand of God will exalt you. And you and I have to be careful with that. Because, all right, hey, I'm going to humble myself this morning and by this afternoon. Because we live in a microwave society. We think that that thing's going to ding and God's just going to raise us up. It's not going to happen this afternoon, more than likely. Not going to happen. We're not this kernel of corn and... and in three minutes, we're going to be a popcorn. No. It's a, it's a crock pot. If I'm going with the food analogy, it's about to be lunchtime. And, and so if we're going with that analogy, it takes a long time. But at the proper time, he will raise you up. That proper time might not be in the 70 plus years, the 80, 90 years that he gives you and me in Mississippi on the face of this earth. That proper time might be for all eternity is when he will raise you up. And ultimately that is the case. But in the midst of these days, he says for you to humble yourselves. And then he says in verse number 7, cast all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Now I know what many of you are thinking when I say the word cast. You think of a fishing reel and an exercise where you cast the bait out into the middle of the lake and then you take the the reel and you go like this and you reel it back up. No. Just so you can cast it back out there. And that's going to happen for some of you today. You're going to come to the end of this message and you're going to say, oh, Jesus, yep, I need to just cast all my cares on you and you just lay them down at the altar. You just lay them down at the cross. And then about three o'clock tomorrow afternoon, you're going to say, oh, I got a big fish right here. And you're going to bring it all back. That's not it, guys. Ladies, that's not it. The word is cast and leave. Cast all your cares on him and leave them right there. Don't don't think that you got a whopper. Yeah, you got a whopper, but, but you need to leave it there at his feet. And guys, men, some of you are like, I don't, I don't care about anything, or I don't worry about anything. Let's care about stuff, but worry about anything. I would argue that for most of us men, we worry about two things. We worry about finances, and we worry about our jobs. We worry about finances, and we worry about our job. Cast all your anxieties on Him. Because He cares for you. Men, you may not worry 
about what your hair looks like today. You may not worry if your belt matches your shoes today. But if you're honest with the person that you look at in the mirror, you would probably have to agree and say, you know what, yep, I worry some days about, I worry about the finances and how I'm going to provide for my family. And I worry about the job and the performance that I'm doing for my bosses and for the company that I go and punch the clock in and I punch the clock out. And you and I need to be careful about those anxieties because of what happens in verse number 9. Excuse me, verse number 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he will take those cares, he will take those anxieties for finances, for work, and he will twist them. Just a slight twist. And say, oh, I've got to go to work. I've got to work. I've got to work. I've got to work to provide for my family. And more time and more days and more months, you will be away from them and you won't have a family. And I won't have a family. I've got to have more money to provide for my family. Or is it, men, that you've got to have more money to provide for your leisure wants with your family? Psalm chapter 55 verse 22 states this, Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Jesus, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, spoke about anxieties and worries. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on it. Is not life more than food, men? Is not the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are, River Bend? Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, by worrying, can you add a single hour to the span of your life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor do they spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory, all of his splendor was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? What a question. Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, Don't be anxious saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Cast all your cares on him. All your anxieties on him. All your worries on him. Because he cares for you. 
Adrian Rogers stated it this way, ladies and gentlemen, he stated it this way, and I don't believe that you can get any better than this. He said, hey, do you worry? Do you worry? Then why in the world do you pray? And hey, hey, do you pray? The answer is yes. Why do you worry? If you pray, if you pray to the Father above, why in the world do you worry? Do you not believe that He cares for you? Do you not believe that He's going to take care of you? Do you not believe that He knows exactly where you are and He's right there with you in step, one after another after another? Be sober-minded. I'm not going to spend much time here because you can go listen to a bad sermon I preached about three weeks ago on being sober-minded out of Ephesians chapter 5. Last series, be sober-minded. It's a controlling agent. Alcohol is. That was the argument that Paul was making in Ephesians 5. And he said, hey, don't have this controlling agent in you drunk with wine, but have this other controlling agent in you, the Holy Spirit. And the argument is the same that Peter is trying to get across to those who are in the midst of suffering. Do not drown out your suffering or seek to drown out your suffering by this thing called alcohol. But be sober-minded, knowing all of your faculties, so that in the midst of these things, these troubles, this thing called life, You'll understand when he's calling you and saying, hey, Brian, Brian, you need to go in this direction or you need to go in that direction. Brian, you need to steer clear of this person or that person. Be sober-minded. In the last couple of minutes, let me draw this to a close two ways. One, let me draw it it's not in the text specifically, but I believe that it is there and it can be seen. And in our day and in our moment, men, we like to run to this one and we need to watch out. Humble yourselves. Cast all your worries, anxieties on Him. Be sober-minded, be watchful. That's what we're describing right now. And don't be isolated. And men, if we like to do anything, we like to be isolated. But you need to be reminded, River Bend, you, you need to be reminded that we were created for community. We were created for community, men. And he gives this illustration. He says, resist the devil. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a, a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. The picture is National Geographic, Animal Planet, 
There is a whole horde of wildebeest going across the savannah. And there's a pride of lions on the edges. And what are they doing? They're not looking for the ones right there in the middle with everybody surrounding them, the very strong ones, the ones that are protected with humpteen thousands of other wildebeest around them protecting them. No, they're looking, they're looking for the one back, back out there on the edge. The, the one that's hurting, that's crippled, that can't keep up. They're going to pick off that one on the... Right there on the edge. And that's a warning not for the one that's on the edge, but that's a warning for all the wildebeest. And that's a warning for us as the church. You see the ones out there on the edge. You see the ones that are hurting, river bend. We don't need them on the edge. We need, we need them right there in the middle. We're the body of Christ. And those that are isolated, those that are on the edge, on the fringe, are the ones that this roaring lion, your adversary, seeks to devour. And that's there. That's in the text. And may I speak for... A moment longer. And men, the culture that you and I live in. The culture that you and I live in. Loves to have you in the dark and loves to have me in the dark. And loves for you and for me. To feel that there's safety in the dark and nobody's affected by my sin. As an individual, nobody, if nobody else knows about it, then we're okay. I'm okay. I can look at whatever screen I want to look at, whatever image that comes on that screen, whatever video comes on that screen, whatever movie clip comes on that screen. It's not affecting any single person. And if it's affecting anybody, it's affecting me and me alone. But I have control over it because I only do it at this certain moment or this certain time when all these other variables come together. That's when I partake. And that's a lie. And your enemy, your adversary, men, my enemy, my adversary, has us. If we believe that, he has us on the fringe. He has us exactly where he wants us to be devoured. Do you see what Peter says there? Peter says, resist him. Resist him and he will flee from you. And that is the case in every sin except one. Paul states this to those in Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians, these words. Verse six, verse, chapter 6, verse 18. Maybe. Flee. Flee sexual immorality. 
Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. How one guy put it this way, if Satan himself is standing in front of you and he is tempting you with money, he is tempting you to lie, he is tempting you to fight, he is tempting you to steal, then you stand there, men and women, and you resist him. But if you get in your car and you go to your house and your ex-girlfriend is in your driveway, you keep on driving. Doesn't matter, it's your house. You keep on driving. You flee sexual sin. River Bend, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be. Men, if you are going to be the man that God created you to be, you must man up, I must man up, and watch out. We see the definition and we have seen it described. And there's some action that must take place. And guys, it's got to take place in between your left ear and your right ear. Lady, it's got to take place in between your left ear and your right ear. And it's not just got to take place right now because somebody is standing up and saying, hey, you got to watch out, you got to watch out, you got to watch out. But it's got to take place on Tuesday evening when nobody else is in the room. And it's got to take place in the truck and in the car when you get off work and you are coming home to a couple of kids and a spouse. When you are coming home and neighbors are out in the yard and they are watching you. They're watching me. And when you stand in the grocery line with a I love Jesus t-shirt on, how you respond or you order food with a Riverbend Church shirt on, not because Riverbend Church is anything, but because the person who died for the church is everything. And how you speak to your server, everyone is watching. The world is watching and desires to see you and me show light. And may we do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, if I'm honest right now, it's so easy for me to put it in neutral moments of my day. And that's the scary part, Father. That's the scary part for me, but Father, it's the scary part for, for your bride as a, as a whole or as a, as a larger body when we... Put it in neutral. And we think that, God, I think that I'll, I'll just pick it right back up when I flip the switch and I'll be in the same spot. No, Lord, I, I drift down the stream. And God, I can't compartmentalize you and I can't compartmentalize my witness. Father, I'm either yours all the time or for always or I'm not yours. Father, for the men and women in the room this morning, for the students that are in the room that, that have bowed the knee, that know you as Savior and as Lord, they've confessed with their mouths. Father, might you impress upon us the urgency of these commands 
to be sober-minded, to be watchful, to cast all of our worries and our anxieties on you, to humble ourselves, knowing that there is an enemy, an adversary that seeks to devour us. And it's not just a Tuesday. Father, it's for all of your glory. It's not just a Thursday afternoon and, yeah, I turn this project in and it's over. No, it's for all of your glory. Sir, he has you at a job that nobody else in this room or nobody else in the world has that job. You will stand in front of people, ladies, that we will never stand in front of. Customers will come to your desk. They will come to your window and they will ask questions about you and your family this week. Sir, ma'am, Father, thank you that you are one who just lays things out. There's no secrets. You have commanded us. You have encouraged us. You have challenged us. Lord, might your spirit convict me, continue to convict me and us this morning. I ask it in Christ's name.